message. Uh, This morning as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we commemorate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, which was a day marked by song and celebration, we're going to look at one of the oldest songs in the scriptures, at Judges chapter 5, as we continue our series through the book of Judges. And I want to start by reading that song uh, in Judges 5 together. So if you have a Bible handy, I encourage you to find it or, or open an app on your phone to follow along as I read Judges chapter 5. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anoth, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. The travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel, who offered themselves willingly among the people, bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way. To the sound of musicians at the watering places, there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, break out in song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Maker, marched down the commanders, and Zebulun, and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar, faithful to Barak, into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great stirring of hearts, great searching of hearts. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risk their lives to death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan. At Ta'anak, By the waters of Megiddo, they got no spoils of silver. From heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. 
Then loud beat the horse's hooves with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse, Merez, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Haber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet, he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet, he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Out of the windows she peered. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she herself answers. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man? Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. This is God's word. If that story uh, sounds familiar to you, that's a good thing. That means you were paying attention last Sunday because this song covers the same story that we read about and looked at last week in Judges chapter 4, the, the victory of God through Deborah and Barak over Jabin, the king of Canaan, and Sisera, the commander of his army, where chapter 4 tells that tale in the form of a narrative or a story. Chapter 5 now retells the same tale in the form of a song or a poem. It's very similar to what you see in the book of Exodus. Uh, in Exodus chapter 14, you read the narrative of God's victory uh, over Pharaoh at the Red Sea. And then in chapter 15, Moses retells that same victory in the form of a song, a song of celebration. Because God's salvation is always worth celebrating. It's one of the reasons that we sing uh, regularly in our worship. But more than that, songs and poetry have a way of enlivening our imagination and awakening our souls to the divine realities behind our human stories. And that's what we see here in Judges chapter 5. It's retelling that story in this heightened poetic way to kind of help us see those same events from God's perspective. The song of Deborah and Barak. It is a celebration of victory over a brutal enemy through willing servants accomplished by God himself. And, and those are the four things we see in this song, that it's a celebration of victory over a brutal enemy through willing servants accomplished by God himself. And so first, this is a celebration of victory. This is a song of praise to God a response to the events that unfolded in chapter four. 
If you look again at how it opens in verse two, he says uh, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord, give praise to God. This, this song is giving praise to God. Similarly, Deborah says in verse three, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. God's salvation is worth celebrating and singing about, especially when you recall the incredible and unexpected ways in which he accomplished his deliverance for Israel in the previous chapter, the, the way he routed Sisera's army with a flood, the way he took out this brutal tyrant through a housewife. God is worthy of praise for his salvation. And in fact, Deborah and Barak not only want to give praise to God, they want the surrounding nations to hear of God's praise. So if you look again at verse 3, they're not just singing to God, they're telling the kings and the princes to listen up. This is who our God is. In a similar way in verses 10 through 11, they want the wealthy merchants who who sit on rich carpets and who ride on white donkeys, those who were able to kind of go about on the highways while God's people Israel had to take to hiding, they want those wealthy merchants not just to hear God's praise, but to take up God's praise on their own lips. Verse 11, to the sound of musicians at the watering places there, they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. This is a celebration of victory. It is a fitting response to God's saving work. And it's a celebration of victory more specifically over a brutal enemy. And that's the second thing we notice in the song. Verses six through eight kind of set the scene. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anoth, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. The travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. Because of Canaanite oppression, the Israelites were pushed to the margins of society. Uh, the margins of society in the very land that was to be their inheritance, this land God gave them that they might flourish, they have to take the back roads and the hidden ways for risk of, of danger or theft on the main roads. That's not the way this is supposed to work. And yet, uh, it was largely their own fault, right? If you remember the story, what, what is it that brought out Sisera and his armies against them? It was Israel's idolatry. As verse eight reminds us in the song, when new gods were chosen, then war was at the gates. When Israel gave their loyalty and affection to a God other than the Lord, other than their covenant God who made them, who rescued them, that's when they brought war upon themselves uh, through God handing them over to the consequences of their sin, to be disciplined. But just because God is judging Israel's sin doesn't mean that the neighbors who oppress them get, a free, get out a free card for their own sin. God's going to judge their evil as well. And Sisera and Jabin were evil. Chapter four tells us again how, how he oppressed them cruelly for 20 years. And then chapter five actually gives us a, a clearer window into what that oppression actually entailed. 
So if you look at verses 28 to 30, there's this movement in the song uh, that one author describes as holy sarcasm. It's the picture of Sisera's mom standing at the window, waiting for her son to return from the battle with all of the spoil and, and wondering what's taking him so long. Uh, of course, we know the answer. Sisera's not going anywhere. His head has been nailed to the floor quite literally. And, and it, it's a cutting picture. It almost feels like it's glorying in his mother's loss. It feels almost a little bit heartless and low. Uh, and until you remember how many mothers in ancient Israel stood in the same place as Sisera's mom, waiting for their children, waiting hopelessly for their children to return who would never come home because of Sisera's brutal reign. And, and you have even less sympathy for his mom when you see what consoles her, the thought that, that Sisera's delay is simply because he's still collecting all of the spoil, the, the, the plunder of war, verse 30. A womb or two for every man, spoil of dyed materials, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck of spoil. This is a mom who's content with the slaughter of a neighboring people so long as she gets some nice new clothes out of the deal. And so long as, as Sisera's army gets plenty of women to take advantage of. This is a brutal, evil, violent enemy. And God has conquered that enemy. He has been victorious and triumphed over that enemy. And he's done it through willing servants, which is the third observation from the song. Through willing servants. Uh, we saw that last week in chapter four, how one of the questions of the story was whether or not the leaders would actually lead and the people would actually follow. And by God's mercy, that's what happened. The leaders took the lead. The people gave themselves willingly. God accomplished his salvation through willing servants. And, and so the song celebrates the role that God's people played. If you look again at verse two, that the leaders took the lead, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. And among those leaders, Deborah played the pivotal role. Again, if you'll remember, it was her voice that spoke truth to the warriors uh, and Barak in particular, those who were called to take up the sword. Her voice spoke truth. And, and so her role is recognized in the song in verse seven. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. Like a mother, she's standing on the side, encouraging, challenging, calling people to action, reminding them that God is with them and that he has promised them the victory. The leaders took the lead in Israel, both Deborah and Barak. And so they're celebrated in the song and the people gave themselves willingly. In verses 13 to 15 and in verse 18, uh, the song that, uh, that celebrates, this song celebrates the tribes who willingly followed Deborah and Barak into battle, who marched down against the mighty, who risked their lives to death in order to defeat uh, Sisera and Jabin. Particularly, Zebulun and Naphtali are celebrated. 
And then there's another servant, another willing servant who's celebrated in verses 24 to 27. And that's the role that Jael played in defeating Sisera. And the poetry there at the end of that poem, um, it's almost uncomfortably vivid. Uh, this, This part of the poem recounts the details of the story most precisely of anything from chapter four. Uh, Here we're we're reminded he asked for water and she gave him milk. Uh, And then the moment of victory almost comes to life through through the repetition of the poem in that downward descent of Sisera. She crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank, there he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank, he fell, where he sank, there he fell, dead. I mean, it's this hauntingly beautiful picture of God's victory over Sisera through Jael, his willing servant. And yet not everybody in the story responded willingly. And so not everybody is celebrated for their willingness. There are some tribes who are rebuked in the song for being unwilling to step out and follow the Lord. Uh, Where was Reuben? Hanging out with the sheep. Uh, Gilead and Dan, they're no-shows. Asher's hanging out uh, by the coast. They did not answer God's call, and so God calls them out in the song. Similarly, and, and more harshly, the city of Meraz is cursed in verse 23 for not coming to the help of the Lord. And we don't actually know where that city was in the ancient world, but the assumption from the song is that it was close enough to the battlefield that the proper response would have been to come out and join in the battle. But they didn't do that. They held back. They let the other tribes do the dirty work. And and there's a good reminder for us in this song here, that, that whereas God is the one who accomplishes his salvation, uh, that's the next point, the major point of the song, uh, though that is true, his people are not to sit passively by. They are to be actively involved and participate in his mighty work. They are to come to the help of the Lord, not because God needs our help, but because in his wisdom and in his love, he ordains to use his people. And and so if you think of it this way, trusting in God's sovereignty is never an excuse for inactivity or disobedience. God calls his people to step up. He called Israel to take up the sword. He calls us to trust him and take up our cross and follow him and lay our lives down. This victory song celebrates God's victory over a brutal enemy, but he accomplishes it through willing servants. God's people have a role to play. But it is God himself who accomplishes the victory. And that is the the fourth observation and the main point of the song, that God is the one who brings the victory. He, this is a, a celebration of victory over a brutal enemy through willing servants accomplished by God himself. He's the hero of the song. So if you look at verses four and five, God's power is described uh, in cosmic language. 
Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled. The heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. When God is on the move, creation responds. Similarly, in verses 19 to 21, when we read about his victory over the kings of Canaan, it's as though creation itself jumps in to help out. Uh, From heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away, that ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. And of course, one of the things that poetry does is is use these kind of heightened metaphors to help us enter into the drama of the story in, in a special way. It's metaphorical language. It's not like the stars actually drew swords and, you know, came down to join in the battle. And yet, that cosmic language is truer here than we might first think. If you'll remember, we talked about last week, central to Israel's victory was God opening the floodgates of heaven to send a torrent down into the river valley Kishon in order to neutralize the chariots of Sisera. Creation really does fight for the Lord in this battle. Because God is the one who accomplishes his victory and his salvation is always worth celebrating. He's the one who brings down all who oppose his kingdom, all who would oppress his people. As he's done here to Canaan, so he will do to everyone who seeks to steal his glory, to stand against his throne, to to harm his people, uh, to undo or overturn his vision for life and goodness in his world. He will bring them to judgment. That's how the song ends in verse 31. So, or in this way, may all your enemies perish. But he's also the one who rescues his people, who protects the defenseless, who saves them for his glory. Even as he's pouring out his judgment, he is saving his people. And and so verse 31 continues, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. Even in God's judgment, he saves. He saves. And, And you think about the cross. Where else do we see that more than the cross? Where God is judging sin and saving sinners at the very same time. And that's worth celebrating. That is worth rehearsing and rejoicing over again and again. Uh, Even when life feels disarrayed and distracted, uh, even when, you know, in, in a time that we're in right now, it's hard to think about celebrating anything right now. Uh, given the crisis that that we're enduring, given given the fear, given the fact that certain some loved ones are infected, and and this is just some it's a season of life where where it doesn't feel right in some ways to be celebrating something when there's so much hurt and loss being experienced in the world, and yet this is a season where more than any we need to remember and celebrate the salvation of God. And celebrating actually helps us keep our eyes focused and our hearts mindful of the Lord. If you think about how this song functions in the book of Judges, uh, celebrating God's saving work is, is one of the ways that we recount 
his saving work. We, we tell the story again and again so that we don't forget who he is, so that we pass it on to the next generation. The very things that the, that the Israelites failed to do in the book of Judges, celebrating God's salvation helps us do that. And as the people of God in Christ, we need to tell and celebrate the story of the gospel over and over. We need to sing the gospel over and over and never let ourselves get tired of telling that story. The moment we get tired of telling the story of the gospel is the moment we begin to let some other story shape our lives more than what Christ has done. And I, I tell you, I feel that temptation, that draw in this season. So I'm so distracted by all that's going on. It's so easy to let the story of the COVID-19 crisis push the, the, our memory of the Lord or our focus on him to the margins and just fixate on this completely unknown, uncharted territory we're in. And yet we need, that would, that would be to commit the same error that the people of Israel did in the book of Judges, to forget the Lord and the work that he's done for Israel. We need to celebrate his salvation by recounting it. And more than just remembering and recounting, celebrating God's salvation, even in strange seasons like this, it helps us rejoice in God and the work that he's done. So not just to tell it for information, but to exult in the gospel, to delight in it, to marvel over the fact that the God of the universe has stooped down, not just to see us, but to save us and to do it at an unimaginable cost. We need to celebrate that, to rejoice in the gospel and to never let ourselves get bored with it. The moment we get bored with the gospel is the moment that we think that we no longer need a savior, that Either I'm not really that bad or God's not really that holy, but you know what? I've got this. We need to rejoice in, to treasure the gospel of Jesus that saves us from our sin. And the third way that, that celebrating helps us keep our eyes on Christ in the midst of crisis, helps us treat him the way he deserves to be treated. Uh, the third way that celebrating helps us do that is it helps us respond to God's salvation with obedience and with faith. Again, the fact that God is the hero of the story doesn't mean his people aren't called to play a role. God calls us to respond to his work. To, uh, he wants to use us. He wants to enlist us in his cause to continue to trust him, to continue to hold out the hope of the gospel to our, our family members uh, to our friends, our colleagues, to our community, to hold it out both with word, but also with deed, to respond with faith and obedience. Because in Jesus, in Jesus, we have an even better song of celebration to sing. What God accomplished for Israel temporarily through Deborah and Barak, because it's going to get bad in the book of Judges again. What God accomplished temporarily for Israel in the days of the Judges, he has accomplished permanently and perfectly 
for all people through his son, Jesus Christ. You know, it's one of the things that's intriguing about scripture is, is to notice how some of the songs in scripture seem to draw on or feed into other songs in scripture. So for instance, I mentioned at the beginning that Judges 5 reminds us of Exodus 15, the, the song of Moses and God's this, this celebration of victory there. Well, in a very similar, even more direct way, when you get later in the Bible, Psalm 68 draws on the language and imagery of Judges 5, uh, sometimes lifting exact quotes from Judges 5. And, and Psalm 68 is a celebration of victory, uh, only a new victory. So, so for instance, uh, it, it uses the same language from Judges 5 verses 4 and 5. Psalm 68 verses 7 and 8 says, O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. It's using that same language. But the victory being celebrated in Psalm 68 is the victory of God as he sets out from Sinai, triumphs over his enemies, and then arrives in Jerusalem to take up residence there. There's this glorious procession as God the king marches into the city and then into the sanctuary where he's going to dwell. You fast forward a little bit further in Psalm 118, another song of celebration it draws on the imagery and language of Psalm 68. Again, it's a celebration of victory with a king arriving to Jerusalem and heading up to the temple. Only this time, it's the human king, the son of David, who arrives. He, he shows up to the gates of the city and says in verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. So this victorious king shows up at Jerusalem and marches with procession up to the temple to give praise to God. And one of the things that's interesting about Psalm 118 is, is it gives us a glimpse of the onlookers, of the crowd who are watching this parade up to the temple and, and what they are saying. Psalm 118 verses 25 to 26 says, save us, this is the crowd, save us we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Now, wonder if those words sound familiar to you. I hope they do. Because those are the very words on the lips of the crowd when Jesus arrives to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, a king who shows up at the gates and proceeds in his parade and processional up to the temple to worship the Lord. The, the words, the language, save us, we pray, that comes from the Hebrew, uh, or, or the Hebrew is where we get uh, Hosanna, save us, we pray. This was the cry of the people in Jerusalem. And it's important to remember that Jerusalem in Jesus's day was occupied territory. It was under Roman rule. They were oppressed under Rome, not unlike the people of Israel during the days of Judges. They're in their land, but they're not in charge. And, and so Israel longed for God to fulfill his promises and raise up a deliverer, a king who would get rid of their oppressors and hand the kingdom back to Israel. 
And so as Jesus enters Jerusalem that day in this grand procession, uh, they can't help but sing the victory songs of old. God's deliverer has arrived. Salvation is here. And that was true, but it wasn't true in the way they thought. What Israel wanted, longed for in Jesus's day was another judges for victory. They wanted a king who would come in and, and, and take out his enemies with the sword or at least put a nail through their head. Uh, they wanted that kind of victory. What they got was the king they actually needed. A king who would defeat his enemies, not by taking up the sword, but by laying it down. A king who would defeat his enemies, not by piercing their head with a nail, but by allowing them to pierce his hands and his feet. A king who would not only deal decisively with God's enemies, but who would deal decisively with the main enemy, the sin and idolatry within God's people and all humanity, that sin which separates us from God. So as Jesus arrived in Jerusalem that week, he was headed to the cross where he would take our place to, to deal decisively with our sin so that God could judge sin righteously and yet deal mercifully with sinners at the same time because Christ is our willing substitute. He is both the leader and the one who offered himself willingly for God. And he did that that we might be reconciled to God through faith. He did it so that in him, we would have security with God that nothing in this broken world could ever take away. That is our song of celebration. That is what we rejoice in, a victory that we're gonna celebrate this week through Holy Week because God's salvation is worth celebrating. It's worth recounting, rejoicing, responding to, because what God did temporarily for Israel in the days of the judges, he has done perfectly and permanently for all people through his son, Jesus Christ. And so let's pray and then let's sing and celebrate the victory that we have in Christ. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, Lord, we are humbled when we consider your mercy, your love, your saving hand at work on behalf of sinners. Lord, we read the story of the judges and we recognize that there is uh, nothing among the people in the days of the judges that would merit your favor and deliverance. They had given themselves wholly to a God other than you. And Lord, even as we look at that and, and we marvel at your mercy, so help us to look inside and see the same is true for us. But for the grace of God, there we go. And, and, and Lord, it is only your mercy by which you've acted for our salvation. And we praise you for your mercy. Lord, help us stay focused on and rejoicing over the mercy that you've given us in Christ. Lord, we need that, especially this Holy Week. We need that. And Lord, as we celebrate, we also think of, of, of those who need your mercy in a new and special way. God, we think of, of 
the COVID-19 crisis and we pray for your hand of, of relief, your hand of deliverance. We pray for those who are dealing with its effects directly. We think of the bottomlies and ask that you would um, heal them in your mercy. We think of those who's, who have loved ones who are dealing directly with this disease. Lord, we think of those among us whose lives have been upturned, not just because of you know, having to stay at home, but who've lost jobs or whose loved ones have lost jobs and just the fear and disarray that creates. Lord, would you meet us in the midst of this crisis to deliver us and to provide? Would your church rise up to be the church for one another? And Lord, we think of those who need your healing touch in other ways. Lord, for Mike Merritt and Chris Page, for Sharon Brown and Pat Killian, for Dennis Lorenzen and Jamie Kielholtz, for John Wright, John Scow, Matt Rosendahl, others, Lord, who need your healing touch, whose care in some ways is complicated through this crisis. And Lord, we think of our missionaries and our outreach partners as well. Uh, especially today, we ask for your blessing on Bridgehaven um, as they seek to care for women in crisis pregnancies, Lord. And, and yet because of this crisis, they too have had to close their doors. Would you give them wisdom to know how to minister to their clients and their families? Would you keep their staff fixed on you? Would you, um, would you bless, Lord? Would you protect those who are feeling pressured into making decisions about pregnancies and, and, and help, uh, help people come alongside them that life might prevail, Lord? Lord, in all of these things, we need your mercy. And we praise you that in Jesus, your mercy is rich and available and that you have accomplished a great salvation for us through your son. And we celebrate him today. It's in his name we pray. Amen.